thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Would you pray with me before I begin? Almighty God, we thank you for your word to us, your word that has made and sustains all things. We thank you for your word made flesh in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for your word revealed to us in Scripture. And we ask that by your spirit now, your word would come alive to us, that you would plant your word deep in our hearts and that we may live out your word in the world to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. For many years, I have sort of sidelined the ascension. That was until I moved with my father and mother into a new parish. My father is uh, was a... Uh, an Anglican minister, and we moved from South Africa, with my place of origin, uh, to the UK. And the place where uh, Dad was given a parish was the Church of the Ascension. And we lived in the vicarage, almost as close as Zane and Karen and the kids lived to this parish church. We lived in the, the vicarage of the Church of the Ascension. And uh, it kind of gets under your skin a wee bit as a teenager. Really should pay attention to the Ascension. It's kind of where I made my home. Uh, I've got a, a, a sort of a, a long-term reminder of that, uh, that property that was on quite a steep hill, and um, we um, would cycle around that, that, that place, and particularly in winter, it was a bit dicey with the shadow across the road and the ice, and you know what happens when you're cycling on icy roads. I still have the scar on my hand. Um, reminding me to remember the ascension and to, uh, to pay it some good attention because I think it's got a lot to teach us and I think in a way we need to recapture something of the early church and how they held the ascension as essential to the certainty of their faith, the hope with which they lived, the sense that it all made. We enter into the story in the 40 days that Jesus spends with his disciples, giving proofs of his real resurrection. The proofs that he gives are accompanied with some teachings, some further understandings, and some instruction. What it would be like to have been with him in that time would have been amazing. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the accounts of the Gospels and Luke, the author of Acts, doesn't pay that much attention to Jesus' instructions as to the events that happen around this chapter 1. The one instruction Jesus gives is for them to stay in Jerusalem. He gives them a place to go to wait for the Holy Spirit. He speaks of this time, during this time of the kingdom of God, 
And this is important to note that although the book of Acts and indeed the New Testament epistles focus on the activity of the early church, and some might really rename the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the framing of this picture is Jesus' life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. So just in your mind, think about a framed painting. Maybe you have something in mind at home or a favorite painting of a famous painter in a museum or an art gallery. I know the modern trend these days is to have frameless paintings, and indeed we've got a few of these at home. But for the purposes of my talk, I want us to think about a framed painting. I'll get back to this in a second. Acts begins and ends with references to the kingdom of God. The life of the early church collected into the New Testament is framed by the Gospels at one end and the revelation of St. John at the other end. Like the early church, we live within the picture. We live within the painting. We live within the same time, the same epoch, the same season as the early church. We are within this painting. The activity of the Holy Spirit, empowering every generation in their participation in the mission of God, that is the painting that we are part of. It's still being applied, brushstroke by brushstroke, individual by individual, community by community, one decision at a time, all within a solid security of a framework around this mission of God. And the framework is Jesus Christ, the verifiable, objective evidence that Jesus of Nazareth is God incarnate with us. So what does this have to do with the ascension? Well, I think the ascension is the fourth edge of the frame. Jesus' life and teachings is one edge, His death is a second, his resurrection is the third, and his ascension is the fourth edge of this frame. It would be unusual, wouldn't it, to see a three-sided frame. It would be unbalanced and incomplete. And that's the very way that the early church held the ascension, as an essential part of understanding what it was that God had done in Christ Jesus And now what it is that we, the church, are required to do. This point of the ascension is also quite comforting for the disciples. We don't have to go very far back in the Gospel of John to remember that Jesus spoke sometimes quite cryptically and occasionally quite clearly about his departure. And they, the disciples, were full of questions and wonderings and where are you going? And what do you mean you're going? We're not going to see you. And if you're going to the Father, can we come too? And who is the Father? All these questions around Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure. He 
he has a group of friends who will be devastated at his leaving. So he prepares them. In John chapter 16, he gives them the why he needs to leave before it actually happens. He says, it is good, it is beneficial, it's expedient that I go away. For if I don't go away, the advocate, the comforter, whom we know is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. You see, Jesus is clearly identifying that he, in being part of God, has a role to play in the sending of the Spirit. Put it another way, Jesus is saying that this is the way it must be. It must happen like this. In order for you to receive the Holy Spirit, you must let me go. So I will leave, and my leaving will cause the Spirit to come. Now, there's lots of opportunity within, Mark, uh, within John's Gospel, particularly John 16, for us to dig into the Trinity, but I'm going to leave that for your vicar for the 12th of June, for teaching on the Trinity is in itself a complex, complicated, but essential part of our doctrine. So there's four parts to this frame, and Jesus knew how important it was that they understood how important this part of the frame, the ascension, was. So we have the life and teachings, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension as the frame of this painting. It'll help us capture again how important it was for the apostles, how they understood the ascension to have such a deep impact upon them. First, the apostles linked firmly together Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. It's like a three-part drama that is not concluded without the third part. Today we seem to have uncoupled the ascension. We place it in a sort of a slightly odd box, in a sort of a needs-to-be-treated-unusually. We're okay with, in most part, the death and the resurrection, but the ascension, well, it's weird, it's strange. There's not enough kind of scientific understanding of maybe what was going on here. We might correctly declare Jesus' death and resurrection as the foundation of our faith for the forgiveness of our sins, but the members of the early church would also emphasize the ascension as an essential part of their understanding of what God is doing. They knew that without the ascension, there would be no spirit, and therefore there would be no church. And Jesus' promise would fall. Peter explains in his speech at uh, Pentecost, explaining from the prophecy of Joel, the outpouring of the spirit is made possible only because of Christ ascended. Secondly, the apostles recognized that the ascension was the next step in the upward exaltation of Christ. Certainly in John's Gospel, we have the understanding that Jesus on the cross is part of the glory of God. 
It takes a bit of our understanding to figure out that a, a man being executed, crucified on a cross and dying an excruciating death would somehow be a representation of the glory of God. But that's what's happening. It's God's plan being fulfilled. It's God's promise. The ascension is likewise the elevation, the exaltation, and the vindication of who Jesus is. In Peter's speech to the crowd on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, he points to the ascension as evidence of God's vindication of who Jesus is. He is exalted and is seated at the right hand of God, a place reserved for the Godhead. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul would later capture this movement of Christ from being one with God, for being, from being with God, one with God, in the self-emptying the descending into human form, taking on the very nature of a servant, this nature of humanity, obedient even unto death, and therefore God also highly exalts him through the cross and gives him the name that is above every name. It's an incredible movement to observe from high to low, back to high. The point being that for the apostles who saw the ascension take place, this was proof of the identity of Jesus. This was evidence of the divine nature of Christ. Without the ascension, the question remains unanswered. Is Jesus Christ one with God? Did Jesus Christ come from God? Did Jesus go back to God? Is Jesus God? Or put another way, is Jesus worthy of our worship? For we should only worship God. That's why Paul can confidently offer the conclusion to this high to low to high. He can offer these words that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Without the ascension, Jesus is not divine, maybe only just human. And we have no invitation to worship him as God. Not only that, God's rescue plan fails. And thirdly, and finally, the promise declared to those who saw the ascension by those two angelic figures dressed in white, becomes the hope that held the early church secure even when they were assaulted by violent persecution. In verse 11, those two angelic figures speak to the men, the disciples and the others, who are gazing up into the sky wondering, where did he go? And the two figures say to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand here? looking up into the sky. We missed the point of the first, the opening, the men of Galilee part. It's kind of like, you know, Galilee was not a place that you said you were proud to come from. Galilee was kind of like you locals, you yokels, you ordinary people. It's almost a term that is 
in mildly derogatory, hey, blokes, what are you doing, is much more the tone of what is being said to them. Why are you gawping into the sky? This same Jesus, not a different Jesus, they say, this same one, this one who has been taken up, he's been taken up to heaven, the place where God is, where God's rule and reign is. He has gone to his place of origin. He will come back. That is a certainty. And he will come back in the same way, the same exalted way, glorified, worshipped, honoured, as you have seen him go. So their witness is an important part of the formation of the church. This hope becomes resolute in their understanding of what they must now do. This witness that they now should offer in living their lives. It makes sense of what Jesus was previously speaking about in his second coming. So not only was Jesus speaking about him leaving, he was speaking to them in the Gospels about his return. And now they're beginning to make sense of what Jesus had been talking about. Without the ascension, there can therefore be no return of Christ. And if no return, then no real point in leading a godly life. As Paul urges to Titus to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see what he did there? Do you see at the end how Paul, writing to Titus, links together God and Jesus Christ as the saviour of the world? And that the promise of Jesus' return in glory is the hope that fuels our resolution to live an, a holy and honourable life to the glory of God. So, is the ascension an important part of our faith? the origins of our faith, the origins of this painting, this application, life after life, community after community, of the colour on the canvas would say, yes, the ascension helps frame who we are and what we do. Without the ascension, there is no sending of the Spirit, no empowerment to witness, no partnering in the mission of God. Without the ascension, Jesus Christ's identity is uncertain and it is not, and is not available to be worshipped. And salvation falls short. Without the ascension, there can be no return, no hope, no purpose or reason to live a godly life, to make a difference in this world. Without the ascension... St. Paul could not write to the Corinthian church that if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. 
This is the work that we are called to do. Your understanding of who Jesus is and who we are as the church, how we engage in mission, how we express our worship, to whom we give our worship, how we have certainty in this life, how we understand God's grace and God's power to forgive us of our sin, how we hope, how we live, how we find resilience even when we're going through difficult times. All of these things depend upon the objective truth of this mysterious event of Jesus being taken up to heaven, being hidden from their sight. And so I encourage you this morning, as our second reading from Ephesians has it, that we put our hope in Christ, that when we believe we are marked by the Holy Spirit, and that that Spirit gives us wisdom, gives us revelation, that we might know God, And that we might have hope and power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and ascended him to sit at the right hand of the Father. This power may be at work in you and in me, in this community, and from the church into the world, to the praise and glory of his name. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.